Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Yeager. And I'm Lisa Carrico. We're program directors for Missouri Humanities. And we're so excited to bring you our latest episode of Eat, Think, and Be Merry. This podcast is part of our 2022 signature series. And throughout this year, we'll feature food thinkers and other special guests with exciting, inspiring, and downright delicious stories as we consider the role food plays in shaping our society, how it connects us to each other, to our own pasts and identities, and to the world around us. We invite you to feed your mind and join us around the table as we host conversations that explore Missouri's foodways and edible history to celebrate the breadth and depth of Missouri's cultural heritage, natural environment, and the relationship between food and the human experience. Ooh, it's hard to believe we are finally releasing the inaugural episode of our Eat, Think, and Be Merry podcast. How does it feel, Lisa? It feels really good, Caitlin. I think we're starting the series off with a really inspiring and important story. For this episode, we wanted to combine Black History Month with our February theme of agriculture in Missouri. So just so our listeners are aware, each month, we're digging into food-related themes presented through a humanities lens. In February, we hosted a virtual program in partnership with the University of Missouri's Center for Regenerative Agriculture, where we explored agriculture in Missouri, its economic importance, its legacy, and community efforts to adopt new practices to create more resilient farming and food systems through the practice of regenerative agriculture, and what it means for the future of farming. We did. And in that program, we heard from two Missouri farmers as they told their stories of why and how they're incorporating regenerative practices on their farms and discussed how agriculture impacts our communities and our everyday lives. And during that program, we had a few questions come up regarding representation of black farmers in Missouri. Yeah. So we wanted to find out more about this topic. So according to the 2017 USDA census data, Missouri is home to 207 black farmers and Missouri ranks 11th in the nation for agricultural production, but less than 2% of Missouri farmers are black. Yeah. And for further context, in 1920, almost 100 years before that census, Missouri was home to 2,826 black farmers. However, this decline isn't unique to Missouri. Right. So the study continues to say that nationally, the number of black producers has dropped from 925,889 in 1920 to just 45,508 in 2017. That's a 95% decrease. Experts blame a number of reasons such as industrialization, a lack of access to resources and loans, and systemic discrimination. It's really jarring. Exactly. So for this episode, we wanted to explore this decline in Black farmers and more specifically, see what is being done in our state to address this discrepancy. And that's how I came across one of our guests, Billy Polanski, the executive director of Columbia Center for Urban Agriculture and their Henry Kirkland Black Farmer Scholarship Fund. So a little bit about the Columbia Center for Urban Agriculture or CCUA. It's a nonprofit located in Columbia, Missouri, which is a college town in Missouri, probably most known to the rest of the country as being the home of our very own Mizzou Tigers. And they grow fresh produce for families in need, uh, teach community members how to grow their own healthy food, and engage learners in hands-on activities. 
I was so impressed when I came across their website. CCUA is doing amazing work to connect people to agriculture in their community. So I remember when you told me you'd come across this Henry Kirkland scholarship. It was really fascinating to hear about this resource in our state. What can you tell us about some of these recipients? So far, they have had a total of three recipients, and Billy was so kind to connect me with their first ever scholarship recipient. His name is Eddie Lindsay, and he operates a small farm in Boone County, Missouri, just south of Columbia. And he's our second guest for this episode of Eat, Think, and Be Merry. We will discuss the history of Henry Kirkland, the significance of the scholarship, Billy and Eddie's agricultural backgrounds, and how their work impacts their local community. This is so great. I'm really looking forward to hearing the conversation. Billy, let's start with you. Uh, Before coming to Columbia, you spent time working at the Heifer Ranch, educating people about agriculture and global poverty. Could you tell our audience a little bit about you, how you got into the agricultural field and how you arrived in Missouri? At some point, I realized that uh, food and agriculture are something that we all need. It's something that everybody on this planet has in common. And so um, I I became really interested in farming. Uh, You know, we had a little garden at my house as a kid, uh, but, you know, did not have like anybody immediately in my family who was in farming. I got interested in food and I, I, I learned about Heifer International. They help people around the world by uh, providing livestock and training so that they can have food and earn some income. It's a really great organization. And so they, uh, I moved to Arkansas and was working with them at the Heifer Ranch where groups come to learn about what Heifer does and to see uh, to see different animals and ha- see how people around the world live. Uh, and so that, uh, that was huge, big part of my life. I met my now wife, Carrie there, and she uh, grew up in Columbia. So we moved to Columbia in about 2008 and uh, been here ever since, loved uh, mid-Missouri ever since, and uh, don't see myself going anywhere else. Well, that's awesome. Welcome to Missouri, and it sounds like you may be a permanent resident, and uh, so I used to work for the St. Louis Science Center here, and I had a, uh, a manager, my boss. She was in love with cows and I actually for one Christmas uh gave her the gift from Heifer International of uh money towards a cow (laughs) so (laughs) um well Billy could you tell us about uh the Columbia Center for Urban Agriculture uh its mission its programs and the work you do as the executive director Uh, I know when I was reading through your website I was thoroughly impressed with the number of programs and events that you offer uh and the reach that you have in the community there in Columbia. You mentioned we have a, a number of different programs. Um, this is what we call the dump truck when I explain what all the different programs are. Uh, try not to make it come all at once. But uh, most visibly, we grow food for the food pantry. Uh, 
we have our uh, agriculture park next to the ARC and the farmer's market, uh, which used to be the Boone County Fairgrounds, where Eddie used to ride horses back in the day. <laughs> uh, we have a veterans farm over off of College Avenue, uh, which was our original site, but now is a, a place where we uh, work doing uh, therapeutic programming with veterans, work therapy and recreational therapy. Uh, we work with uh, kids, our farm to school partnership with Columbia Public Schools. We uh, get kids, get their hands dirty, uh, get them in their school gardens and uh, field trips to the ag park and uh, uh, cooking and tasting different fruits and vegetables to get them excited about eating healthy foods. We um, we started a new therapeutic gardening program this year with uh, Phoenix programs uh, with people who are in uh, the rehab program there. We have a produce prescription program where doctors at Compass Health uh, prescribe fruits and vegetables uh, to their patients. We have our opportunity gardens program where we uh, train families to be successful backyard gardeners. We bring all the gardening supplies that a family needs to start a garden and we uh, we help mentor them. We visit them at their home multiple times a year to help them uh, you know, be successful in their home gardening. And we, we work with other homeowners and businesses too to help them start gardening. Um, so there's lots of different things we do. Um, we have a different target audience for each of these, whether it's kids or veterans or uh, families with low income or people at the, at the food pantry. So uh, every, like I said, everybody eats and we try to reach people in different ways uh, where they are. Um, and the program that we started in 2019 that I think we're gonna talk about today is the Henry Kirkland Black Farmer Scholarship, where we uh, provide uh, mini grants to uh, black farmers in mid-Missouri to help them uh, further their farm business. Awesome. I love all of the work that you are doing. Um, I think we could host several podcast episodes uh, exploring each one of these programs and all that you have to offer. But yeah, for this conversation, uh, we're going to focus on the Henry Kirkland Black Farmer Scholarship. Uh, before diving into the details of that, uh, could you talk about the historical significance behind the name? Uh, who is Henry Kirkland, and what is his connection to Columbia, Missouri? So Henry Kirkland is one of the sort of little known people of Columbia history. Uh, at least today, he's he's not very well known. But back at the uh, the 19th century, uh, he was like, he was a big deal. He was born in Boone County and he was born into slavery, um, but when he was about five years old, uh, was emancipated. He uh, got a job working in a greenhouse nursery for a man named Joseph Douglas, 
who was a sheriff, uh, Boone County, and uh, eventually got a job at the University of Missouri working in one of their greenhouses right when the ag program started at Mizzou. He was such a good worker in the greenhouse that, and he was so smart that uh, they actually had him teach some of the classes uh, because it was the late 1800s. He was not allowed inside the buildings because he was black and they actually had him teach the classes out on the steps of the building uh, he, or, or in the greenhouse, but he was not allowed to teach in a classroom. But he had more knowledge than anybody else there about the topic. Um, and so uh, he, was, he really was the first African-American to teach at the University of Missouri, even though at the time they wouldn't have admitted that. Uh, so um, he went on from there to buy his own farm on Switzler Street, which is uh, sort of in between Providence and Garth uh, over by uh, where public housing is. And uh, his house is actually still there today um, on Switzler. Uh, but he had, in the end, he had about three acres of land that he grew produce on. He had multiple other houses that he uh, rented out as like a rental income. And uh, he sold produce uh, to all the grocery stores, to the university. He had field trips out from the university to his farm. He was a really accomplished uh, vegetable grower. Uh, and and he, I mean, his, he was known for his quality of, of what he produced. Uh, he, um, he had innovations like different uh, irrigation systems. And uh, he had some little uh, greenhouses and hoop houses that he made. Uh, he, he traveled the country speaking at conferences. He actually met Booker T. Washington at a conference in Philadelphia. Uh, he was uh, he was quoted in many uh, national agricultural journals, uh, and he, I mean, he he was a remarkable person. He was very smart, very knowledgeable, very innovative, uh, and he was um, he was like a good citizen too. He would go to the local schools and uh, talk about getting kids into gardening. Uh, he himself uh, donated money for. Uh, to send, uh, you know, African American children to college and school, uh, he he sold war bonds. So he was in the um, a war bond effort. He was involved with that, getting getting people to uh, uh, buy the war bonds. And so he was just like an all around good guy who wanted. <laughs> other people to be successful and he was really good at what he did and uh, just a stand-up guy and uh, he died when he was about 80 years old and uh, he was buried in the Columbia Cemetery over there by the library. He actually did not as of a couple of years ago have a headstone. It's unknown if when he was when he died and was buried if he had a headstone then and it disappeared or if he never had one, but a few years ago, uh, 
group of organizations work together to uh, get a headstone uh, where he is laid to rest at the Columbia Cemetery. So uh, that is there now. You can you can go visit him there. Um, and and last year too, or it was in 2020, uh, at MU they built a new plant sciences lab and named it after Henry Kirkland. So uh, in the last few years he's starting to come back to life and become um, more recognized for his accomplishments uh, as, a, as a notable person in our, our community. So Caitlin, I want to bring you back on. Billy does such a wonderful job of introducing us to Henry Kirkland, but there's so much to note about him that I thought we could take a minute to reflect a bit more on his life and legacy. Yeah, definitely. I admittedly had never heard of Henry Kirkland until we started looking into topics for this episode. I'm really interested. Same. Uh, For me, what I think is most notable and most inspiring is that despite being born enslaved and having no formal education, which being black and enslaved, he was denied, Kirkland persevered and still became a successful gardener, educator, business owner, and agriculturalist. And that legacy clearly lives on to this day as the city of Columbia remembers his history by renaming a building in his honor, putting up his gravestone, and with the CCUA so thoughtfully creating their scholarship in his name. It's really fitting. And I think by having Kirkland as the namesake for the scholarship, it'll inspire people to learn more about him and hopefully be kind of a guiding force for aspiring farmers. I love this story. So let's get back to your conversation and hear more about the scholarship at work. You've got it. I went on to ask Billy about the scholarship, including how it was established, the qualifications, how much funding has been distributed, and the significance of creating a scholarship fund to support Black farmers in mid-Missouri. And here's what he had to say. So the scholarship fund was created in 2020. Essentially, this this was kind of in the middle of our uh, Henry Kirkland frenzy. So his his name was getting put on the uh, lab at MU, and we had already uh, put up his his headstone at the cemetery. And you, everybody probably remembers in the middle of 2020, there was all of these kind of, um, it was, I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but it had come really in the news of the police killings of unarmed uh, black people in our country. And every business, every company was making some kind of statement. They were saying, we stand against this and we this and this and this. I mean, everybody. And I kind of looked at this and I thought, you know, words don't mean much. Uh, if, if we're gonna make some kind of statement, I wanna have it be actionable. And so we thought we worked uh, with the farmers market, we work closely with them. And we said, okay, let's put some money into this. Let's actually give money to black farmers and try to uh, right some of the wrongs of the past. And we know that we, we're not doing every, you know, this isn't the only thing that needs to be done in our country, but it's what we can do. And it's it's our piece of the, the puzzle here. And so that was in 2020 and we made our first three 
scholarships in 2021. Eddie here was our first recipient and uh, we had two others and uh, they each received $3,000. So we've given out $9,000 to date and applications are still open. Uh, so anybody who is African-American in Missouri and uh, actively farming or looking to get into farming can apply for these funds to essentially pay for anything, any reasonable expense to uh, get their business started or to grow or expand their farm business. And so just want to help out in, in that way that we can. I love that you um, wanted to find something with action um, that carried some weight and affected your community there. Um, why provide extra scholarship for black farmers? So at the, at the time when we were thinking like, what can we do to help? Um, we looked in, we looked at the ag, the census of agriculture and the last one was done in 2017. And at that time, Boone County showed zero black farmers, zero. Considering that, you know, there actually, there were slaves here, there were plantations in Boone County, that there is a history of, of black farmers. And that essentially, like historically, black farmers have been left out because um, the best way to get into farming is to have your parents be farmers and to inherit uh, the land or to inherit some kind of wealth. Historically, black farmers have not had that opportunity because the land was originally owned by uh, white families and the black, farm, the black farmers who worked there initially were slaves and had no ownership in that. They didn't get to inherit anything even though they worked in agriculture slowly over the years there's be there has become less and less uh, black farmers uh, back in the early 1900s there were way more black farmers than there are today uh, because a lot of the black farmers were small farmers and when the great depression came a lot of small farmers went out of business uh, and that disproportionately hurt black farmers and so today we see uh, significantly fewer black farmers than we did hundred years ago. Thank you for providing like the historical context behind that and helping paint that picture of the decreasing numbers in, in black farmers. So, yeah. And one more thing too, is that even, even since then, there has been, um, uh, you know, racism has affected the number of black farmers over time that uh, just a few, just a few years back, the USDA was um, sued and found guilty of discrimination in their farm lending uh, practices. So um, the, the kind of the racism didn't end with slavery and it didn't end uh, when the small farms got wiped out in the depression. It's kind of persisted in smaller ways and uh, kind of less visible ways over the years. And even today to, you know, to some extent it, it, it exists. So, um, there's more more work to be done to help, you know, get more representation in the food system and, and among the farmers uh, in our area. 
Uh, Billy, with that said, are you hopeful for a shift, whether it's coming from individual communities or policy from a national level? Personally, I, I see a lot of things changing. Um, the, the USDA just this year, they, they put out a grant a request for organizations and uh, they're going to give out $50 million to support socially disadvantaged farmers. Uh, and that grant program two years ago was $3 million. So they went from giving out $3 million to $50 million. Uh, just uh, they, they infused a lot of money in that uh, in the last year. So uh, I do see things like that coming from the USDA and uh, you know other groups to try to help support people who historically have not had um, the same opportunity or the same uh, privilege to, to participate. Yeah, absolutely. I've been trying to follow the like national uh, news regarding uh, this funding. So um, thanks for um, helping uh, clarify and kind of give some information on that as well. Eddie, uh, let's bring you into this conversation here as the first recipient of the Henry Kirkland Black Farmer Scholarship. Uh, could you tell our audience a little bit about you, uh, how you got into the agricultural field and a little bit about your farm? Yes, ma'am. My name is Eddie Lindsay. Uh, I pretty much grew up on a farm here in Boone County. My granddad and my dad, they raised quarter horses and Angus cattle. They got into the Angus cow around the 90s, in the, in the mid 90s, it was a big Angus craze that went on in the country. And so that's what jumped my grandpa and my dad into the cattle business together and pretty much been raised up on the farm here in Boone County all my life. So uh, I was raised on a road called Law of Providence that is south of Columbia, a little outside of Ashland here. The only thing on my road pretty much when I grew up was a uh, Baptist church set across from my dad's farm. It was a old black kind of farming community. For me, kind of one of the only ones that I really kind of know about, but I know there was others around. My granddaddy comes from that area from uh, the Three Creeks area where conservation is now. It used to be the old Three Creek settlement where ex-slaves had kind of started up after emancipation. So that's pretty much me. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I, I did read that you kind of have this unique experience of growing up on a farm and in the city. Uh, so could you tell us about this experience of being both uh, kind of a country boy and also uh, spending time in the city. And uh, and if you would, you're more than welcome to kind of touch a little more on the history of the black community on and around uh, Log Providence where you grew up. Yes, ma'am. Well, for me, uh, with Log Providence, I'm not too sure about any of the history of the farms around there. But it was started in the uh, late 1800s by ex-slaves that were no longer allowed to live in the Ashland area. 
they were actually slaves from the New Salem and uh, Little Boom Them Church here. And what was your other question, ma'am? I'm sorry. No, no worries. Uh, what was your experience like both uh, growing up uh, on a farm and in the city? City boy and the country boy. Well, <laughs> for me, uh, there wasn't other black farmers. So I was kind of almost like a unique kid. Uh, <laughs> I went to school. My dad was a single parent. My mother was killed in a car accident when I was eight years old out uh, on the, the bridge, where the bridge is, out here by Law Providence. And uh, I would have to go to town to school at my grandparents' neighborhood who lived on the east side of town uh, in the Indian Hill subdivision. And so, like I said, wasn't a whole lot of black farm kids and country boys, you know. All my cousins and, and friends that lived in my grandfather's neighborhood, they were city kids, you know. So I was the country boy that would come to town, you know. I would be fascinated with all the sports and, and the kids had different toys, bikes and game system, Nintendos and stuff like that were coming about. Well, my cousins and stuff, they would come out and kind of visit me on the weekends in the farm and they would be fascinated about all the horses and cows <laughs> and everything that slithers, pretty much all the things the boys do. So yeah, I got to enjoy their world and they got to come enjoy mine a little bit. I love this like bridging of the city and the country and the, the two things that both have to offer and um, both are intriguing and fun, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, Eddie, how did you hear about the Henry Kirkland Scholarship and what drew you to applying and what did you do with the funding? What did that come to support? I heard about the program from a neighbor of mine uh, ex-neighbor of mine is Miss Berna LaBoy. She runs a lot of other programs. Uh, she has a program called Ladies Night Out. and She's real active in community. And so I was trying to uh, figure out supplemental income because at the time 2020 hit, when the pandemic hit, the price of groceries, the feed and stuff for my horses and dog food, Everything shot up in 2020. So I was trying to figure out how could I come up with some extra money. I was one of the fortunate ones was able to keep on working, but we're trying to come up with a way of uh, uh, extra income or so. And so uh, one of the first things come to my mind, all I know pretty much is farming for the most part, you know. And so uh, I, I had to come up with an idea that kind of incorporated that. So um, I come up with the produce stand and well, uh, first name that came to my mind, I, I knew I would have to reach out to somebody for, for some kind of help. If it was no more than ideas and maybe kind of point me in the right direction. Uh, uh, Miss Berna was the first name that came up. And so I sent her a text and Miss Berna, do you know any programs here in, in Boone County or in Columbia? that, that kind of help black farmers or minorities. I, I, I know that in the country nationwide, there's 
there's a lot of programs and a lot of us black farmers I know don't know about these programs and I said well if, the, if, if it's that many big programs it's got to be something here locally or at least state and so I sent Miss Verna a text and within five minutes she was like yep I know one <laughs> and so five minutes later she sent me uh Billy's number and about 10 minutes later I was texting him and uh, <laughs> Billy uh, got in touch with me and let me know what I needed to do to fill out the application, which was real easy. Um, a simple application on the on the internet. And I'm a I'm an older guy, I'm a pen and pen and paper guy. So computer <laughs> stuff, you know, ain't really my thing. But that whole process was real easy. And then he told me that I would uh he, I would kind of need a business plan so they would you know, know where things is going, what I was, what I was needing, what my ideas was. And I got nervous about that when he told me, but then he sent me a link to uh, Missouri Women's Business Center in Columbia down here. And uh, they help not only women, uh, but minorities and uh, all kinds of folks anyway. Uh, they were able to help me, walk me through a business plan. And so, from there, uh, I had never really done a business plan of any kind. And so with that, the business plan kind of gave me a, 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 a better sense of the things I needed, uh, where my money would go, uh, what kind of money I might make, you know, if I'm supplementing my income, you know, uh, just put it out there in front of me. And so that process was pretty easy. And from there, uh, end up getting the grant. And uh, one of the main things, one of the things I wanted to grow was watermelons this year. I mean, last year. And uh, so I grew watermelons, uh, several different kinds of tomatoes, several different kinds of peppers. And... Uh, uh, through the Kirkland grant, I was able to purchase a trailer to transport the watermelons. And I found out transporting 150 pound watermelons <laughs> is very heavy. I wouldn't have been able to do that by truck. So Billy, thank you. Uh, uh, I own a tractor and at the time, uh, it was kind of down. I was having motor issues. I had a starter that was gone out of it, needed a battery this and that but small little things you know outside of my paycheck i really couldn't do but uh, uh with the grant i was able to get my starter battery a brand new tire on it uh that helped me to kind of move some things around and uh they helped me get pretty much all my plants and supplies to start up with and which i was able to kind of go through a nursery here locally so i was kind of able to help other local farmers and i was able to get starter plants from uh strawberry hill farms out here and which happened to be a friend of my grandfather's that grew up in this area too so that kind of worked out for me so with kirkland granny it got me jumped off with it and then i started out my season uh growing like i said three different kinds of tomatoes my tomatoes came first and peppers so uh an uncle of mine owns a lot on the east side of columbia uh off of clark lane 
and kind of kind of a trouble area. They've been having violence. Uncle has a lot over there and told me, you know, uh, that I could come over and, and, you know, set up my vegetable stand and anything I need to do over rent free. So that was a plus. And uh, once my tomatoes came, got over next to the liquor store, got to selling them and they really kind of took off. So, <laughs> uh, Throughout the season, I guess I became like a fixture of people's Sunday dinner out there. And like I said, I was kind of half raised out there too, uh, in the Indian community. So, you know, that was my neighborhood, you know what I mean? Uh, and kind of back up my story a little bit. When I was a teenager, I kind of left the farm, you know. It wasn't cool to be a farmer boy when I was going to junior high and and going through puberty, you know, looking at cows all day long. So going to town, you know, I, I did what boys do and what teenagers do and kind of strayed away for quite a while, you know. So uh, when I strayed away, I, I kind of got myself, you know, out there in, in, in the street life on the east side of town. But now coming back to it, and being in those parking lots, being in that area and doing something positive, being, I was a produce guy, I was a fruit guy, you know, so that felt really good and being recognized not as the bad guy, you know, but, you know, the guy that's bringing good stuff. That's Eddie with the good melons, Eddie with the good melons, you know, so <laughs> that felt really good, felt really good. Uh, Eddie, uh, you have such a powerful story and uh, a wealth of local history. And I reside in St. Louis, but I'm thinking this summer I'm going to have to come out and get one of these watermelons from you. I love watermelon. <laughs> yes, ma yes, ma I did a little contest with some guys that were hustling watermelons. That usually they go down southern Missouri, down to Rothersville. Now, in Missouri, the Boo Hill watermelon is supposed to be the best watermelon. <laughs> in the world i beat those boys out this year everybody got to telling me that that hartsburg watermelon up here beat that crossville so you don't go down south come on be lying this way all right deal deal <laughs> um well eddie as a black farmer what words of encouragement do you have for other black farmers who are just starting out or have been doing this for a while what what is your what is your words of encouragement well, my first thing is reach out to uh, the people in your community. There's help out there for you, you know, and, and pursue your dream. Uh, not only, you know, do you supplement your income, though, you, your family. In African community, we have a, a big rate of heart disease, uh, diabetes runs real rampant with us. Our grannies and, and grandpas are or having limbs amputated and stuff, we can get inside our own gardens together, you know, not just for the money, just for your own family, for your own health, you know, we can get in and, and kind of curb some of this diabetes and heart disease stuff. I lost my father to uh, heart disease. My grandfather, you know, had a stroke due from diabetes, you know, and it, it, it's up to us, you know, there's help out there and, and we can make a difference in our own lives and our own communities. Uh, 
there's help for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's such a powerful thing to thinking about uh, food and its connection to health and, you know, um, having access to healthy food and what that does for us and how important um, individuals play in our communities and in supporting one another in those endeavors. So I think that's really powerful uh, and uh, great words of encouragement. Eddie, something I've really noticed through uh, our conversation is you just have a lot of uh, really passionate about the community and, and farming. So who are some of your inspirations? Oh, some of my inspirations. Uh, Tom Bass, a local horse trainer around uh, that was born a slave and grew up around here. Uh, he's one of my inspirations. And now Dr. Kirkland. Didn't know that he existed. Lived here all my life and, and never heard him talked about. But to know, you know, a, a professor, MU, came from right here in my own community. You know, I got to say right now, he's got to be one of my inspirations, you know, uh, from a neighborhood and, you know, an area here from my own, you know. So I, right now, Dr. Kirkland holds it to me. <laughs> All right, we'll go with Kirkland. I love it. Billy, this is like your influence here, getting this up off of the ground, this scholarship and connecting people to the history of Kirkland and, and the Columbia community. So that's wonderful. Kirkland and Tom Bass were alive at the same time. They were they were about the same age. So they, they probably knew each other being I, as I maybe so. they were at the time. Did I read somewhere that Tom Bass was a horse trainer with some um, actors or some well-known horse riders? Am I making that up? <laughs> no, ma'am. He trained horses for Wild Bill Cody. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes, ma'am. Queen of England and a couple czars of Russia. So, Caitlin, I think this is another great moment to pause and take time to discuss another iconic person in the Columbia area that Eddie mentioned as one of his inspirations. What can you tell our listeners about Tom Bass? Yeah, so I did a little research as Tom Bass was also new to me. Um, I pulled this information from the African American Heritage Trails website. So Tom Bass was formerly enslaved and went on to become a world-famous rider and trainer of fine show horses. Uh, Bass rode before presidents and royalty and represented Missouri at the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. He also invented the Bass Bit, a horse bit that prevented the abuse of horses during training. This is just so interesting. Right. So I went on to read that Tom Bass was born enslaved in Boone County on January 5th, 1859 to his enslaved mother, Cornelia Gray, and slave owner, William Hayden Bass. He grew up on the Peter Bass Plantation and was raised by his grandparents. The prosperous Bass family successfully bred and trained horses in addition to raising cattle and crops until the end of the Civil War. So Bass would have been frequently exposed to horses on the Bass family plantation. 
Yeah, and over time, Bass became internationally known as a premier saddle horse trainer and a dazzling equestrian showman. He was the first African-American to ride in the American Royal Horse Show, and he won numerous prizes on famous American saddle horses such as Miss Rex and Belle Beach. He was so famous, in fact, that he was invited to show Miss Rex at the Royal Horse Show in London, England. And in his lifetime, he came into contact with many famous individuals, including Buffalo Bill Cody, Will Rogers, and uh, the following presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, Coolidge, McKinley, and Taft. Uh, So Caitlin, since your husband is from Mexico, Missouri, and that's where Bass spent much of his life, I have a fun little fact for you. Did you know... He is remembered for making Mexico, Missouri, the saddle horse capital of the world. Yes, I actually did know that there's a lot of history and notoriety in Mexico, Missouri surrounding saddlebred horses. So that's such an interesting connection. Uh, So to bring this back around, like Kirkland, Bass gained respect for his skills at a time when African-Americans were facing discrimination in most areas of life. So let's hear more. This is such a multifaceted discussion. I'm really enjoying it. Thanks, Caitlin. So in this next part, I wanted to dig into our 2022 signature series theme where we consider the role food plays in our everyday lives. I went on to ask Eddie how he feels his work as a farmer connects people to foodways here in Missouri. And he went on to say, well, as a farmer, uh, I'm, I'm helping to curb some of the, the diabetes and some of the heart issues and and, and promoting a, a healthy neighborhoods, healthy living. Uh, Billy, we're going to turn this question to you related to our series. Uh, how do you feel your work in the community is helping shape our society and connecting us to one another? Like I said before, everybody eats. And so food is something that can bring, uh, it can bring us all together whether uh, it's rural and urban or Republican and Democrat, it, it don't matter because we all eat and we all uh, need food. We can all sit around the table and uh, break bread together. And uh, that's how that food is grown and our connection to, that, to the land is something that in the last generation or two, a lot of people have become disconnected with. I think there's a big interest in people to be more connected to their food. And so what we do at CCUA is help people, uh, you know, in our area, uh, start a garden or help a kid have that experience where they get to pull a carrot out of the ground and, and, and have that aha moment of like, Oh (laughs) yeah. And, you know, little moments like that can, can just change people's perspective on things. Uh, And so we just, and we want to support people who are, uh, you know, who want to go further down that journey, whether it's a backyard garden or whether it's their farm business. Uh, You know, we, we want to help push those things forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think too, with with COVID, um, we started seeing a lot more people starting backyard gardens and really being interested in growing their own food. And um, I think anytime we can connect kids to 
Well, a carrot doesn't just appear in the grocery store and letting them have that aha moment. I think it's uh, very powerful. Uh, as a former educator, uh, I used to teach kids about food too. And yeah, I loved asking kids uh, uh, where their food came from. And a lot of times they didn't know. So when they were able to trace it back to the dirt, uh, they were really excited about that. Eddie, is there anything you want to add to this? Oh, well, I kind of, some of my customers would come and ask me what would be the difference between my watermelon and a watermelon they could get up at Hy-Vee or Walmart. <laughs> and one of the things I took pride in telling them is, ma'am or sir, that watermelon you got from Hy-Vee or Walmart might come from Mexico, Peru, or who knows where. I got a picture of when I started yours, when I plucked it, when I watered it. So I can take exactly right here in Boone County where your watermelon was growing at. So I take a lot of pride in that. I love it. Uh, provided by Eddie with love. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> so uh, Billy, uh, this next question is for you. Uh, if someone is interested in applying for the scholarship, where they, where can they go to learn more and how can they go about applying and when? If somebody wants to apply, they can go online. The website is buildthistown.org slash Kirkland, K-I-R-K-L-I-N. Uh, the application's on there. It's a pretty straightforward application. Uh, but you need to submit a business plan with it as well. And like Eddie said, you can uh, go to the Missouri Women's Business Center and they'll help anybody put together a business plan and they do free business coaching. It's a great resource. Uh, we also have some connections at Lincoln University Extension uh, and who are able to help with some uh, farm planning and technical support as well and can review the business plan and consider the more agricultural parts of it to make sure that it's on track. Um, and uh, it's a rolling application so people can apply anytime that really you need to uh, be African American, be in mid Missouri, and, uh, you know, be uh, starting or already in a farm business uh, and uh, folks can apply uh, anytime and what just one application a year so um, can reapply again in the future okay well fantastic um, hopefully after people listen to this podcast episode you'll get an influx of applicants <laughs> we're, we're waiting to give money away <laughs> well i have one more question for both of you before we conclude um let's start with you eddie if you want to answer this first how can consumers and non-farmers engage in agriculture so in other words what can missourians do to support producers like you come on out to these local produce stands to your local farmers market if you got time you'd like to donate uh, I'm sure Billy could use people down there, uh, some of your local farmers. You see them out there plucking them weeds, get out there with them, plucking weeds with them. Uh, so, Billy, how about you? Uh, how can um, Missourians support agriculture in their local communities? 
Uh, I'm going to have to agree with Eddie is stopping at those produce stands, uh, farmers markets, uh, you know, that's and talking, talking to the farmers too, uh, you know, asking them about what what they do and how they grow it and where it's grown. Uh, that's, you know, that's the most direct way you can be involved is to talk to a farmer, you know, uh, and, and be spending money with uh, those local farmers, because, you know, it, it's so good for our local economy, like Eddie was saying, is he, uh, you know, he spent his money, he's, he paid a local guy to work on his tractor, and he bought his starts from a local nursery. And, you know, so it's keeping that money in our community. We're not sending it off to some corporate headquarters somewhere. Uh, we're able to support our neighbors and uh, businesses in our community. And it, it lifts us all up. Absolutely. I think that's a perfect way to, to end this with uh, that connection of lifting up our communities and supporting our local economies. Well, Billy and Eddie, thank you for your time and for sharing your stories about the amazing work you're doing in your communities. Thank you for having us. This has been, this has been fun. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Wow. What a wonderful conversation, Lisa. Thanks so much for tackling our first podcast episode and for featuring such great speakers. Caitlin, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, I imagine I speak for both of us when I say it's truly an honor and a privilege to be able to have these kinds of conversations and hopefully while doing so, broaden people's perspectives and feature impactful work being done in our state. I absolutely agree. I think the most eye-opening thing I learned from your conversation was about the drastic shift in the demographic of farmers here in Missouri. I think it was most striking to hear that we've had a 95% decrease in black farmers in the last 100 years, which I think makes stories like this so much more inspiring. And I think, too, I was really taken with the kind of origin story of the Henry Kirkland Scholarship that CCUA felt called to action by the police shootings of unarmed black people across the country and that subsequent activism throughout 2020. Yeah, and they didn't just want to put out a statement of support, but rather they wanted to take it one step further with a tangible action. I know I learned a lot from this conversation, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing about the future recipients of the scholarship and checking back in with Eddie and Billy. Yes, I'd love to hear how Eddie's farm is doing. Well, our first episode of this series is in the books. I hope everyone had learned as much as we did. We hope you all join us again for our next episode, which will feature women who are making a name for themselves in the Missouri brewing industry. March is Women's History Month, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Keep a lookout. Thank you, Caitlin, for that little episode teaser. To learn more about our 2022 signature series, visit mohumanities.org backslash food. This podcast is brought to you by the Missouri Humanities. Please help us share these stories by sharing episodes with friends, family, and on your social media platforms. If you are listening on app, don't forget to follow us and leave a review. 
I'm Lisa Carrico, and we hope you will tune in for future episodes of Eat, Think, and Be Merry as we explore more of Missouri's foodways and edible history and connect through food.